Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Learning Geeks podcast, where we're going to talk about eyeshadow, starting now. <laughs> Do you like that one? I love it. <laughs> I think that's the most like <laughs> simplest one we've ever made. I think it oh is. Well, hopefully that will entice people to stay and listen. Oh my god, <laughs> that's incredible. Anyway, uh, welcome and welcome back to our guest Lisa Christensen, friend of the program. Hey, Lisa's back. Hi, Lisa. Thank you. Hi. Yeah, Lisa works for that one consulting company. <laughs> <laughs> that shall not be named. Starts with the. Uh, no, she works at McKinsey. She and Jake both work at McKinsey. Yep. Dana and I work at Accenture. My hair, right? You know, actually, it's not right now. My hair was Accenture purple. Now it's just kind of got purple highlights. I couldn't tell if your hair was purple or if that was a lighting because sometimes I've seen webcams have turned people's hair purple. A lot of people. Well, reason. a lot of people thought it was just reflecting off my video games behind me, right? <laughs> <laughs> but no, it was our team was was struggling with meeting a deadline and i said you know if y'all make this deadline i will dye my hair purple to match my avatar's hair in the multiverse and they rallied and did it so i did it nice. so it was nice. it was fun so speaking of hair my two-year-old granddaughter um sat on my lap and she started patting my head and she said <laughs> Pop- papa's hair where is it oh. <laughs> and i i said well you know chloe i give it to the new babies so the new babies have hair oh that's so, so now sweet every time, now every time she says papa gives hair to new babies oh, oh that's so sweet so, so i don't have purple hair but i have no hair you have no hair <laughs> that's because i gave it to the new babies you could write that into like a nice little children's story like a little children's fable you could you know pop pop could, dana yeah. and the baby's hair there you go. <laughs> so I, you know, we I thought we were going to talk about we've got from eyeshadow to hair and all of that kind of stuff. So Lisa, you've been here enough. You you you're welcome. You know, you're a guest in the home, but you can open the fridge whenever you want and grab whatever you want. She's getting it's her jacket soon, isn't it? Three get three times now. She gets a jacket. Oh, uh, I was thinking it was like a Saturday Night Live five timers five time club. Thing, right? Oh, the yeah. five timers yeah. club. Yeah. Okay, okay, I yeah, mean, maybe two I, more at times. At some point, I will expect yeah. the like quilted smoking jacket, but I don't think I'm there yet. <laughs> Lisa, tell us why we're talking about eyeshadow. Why? What, what are we talking about today? Okay, yeah. So um, I love that you guys have picked this topic. We're talking about scaffolding today, and that has come up for Jake and I in the context of some apprenticeship research that we've been doing for the last couple of years. But actually, it's got a lot broader application than that. So I, I thought maybe we could spend a little bit of time today talking about what scaffolding is and why it matters, uh, why we think it's important. And then I think it'd be really fun to just kind of talk about some practical examples that we've seen in our lives. And eyeshadow was one that I thought of coming in today when when we were going back and forth in email, like, well, what's an example of something? Is it training wheels? Yeah, it's training wheels, but it's also eyeshadow. So we'll, we'll love maybe that. we can share that experience today. That's great. And and I agree. And as we are, are you know, on our side of the house have been talking about what we're calling work-learn fusion and this whole idea that uh, learning at work and upskilling is no longer simply the confines of a class that you take in a classroom or even a CBT. Uh, we're looking for all of the different ways in which people learn and grow. And scaffolding is one of our favorites. So it's another yeah. great topic. 
Yeah. So, so maybe we start by defining what it is and yep. uh, I can start with a pretty academic definition and then, and then let's build on that together. Perfect. So, um, what I, I like, I like scaffolding. I actually think it's a really niche little geeky topic, but it's, it's cool because it helps us in all the ki different kinds of the work that we do. So scaffolding is really thinking about when the work is shared between the learner and something that helps the learner do more than they're capable of on their own. So the academic research calls that a more knowledgeable other, mm. right? When the work is shared between the learner and a more knowledgeable other. And that can look like almost anything, but basically it's like, I, I give the learner support that helps them do more than they're able to do on their own. Does that definition resonate? Does it make sense? What would you add to that? I think that is a, it's, it's a really solid definition, at least how I've always interpreted it. And like, and then again, why the term scaffolding even comes to play. If you think about an actual scaffolding of like a paint scat, like something you would put on the side of a building, yep. it's adding the different layers, you know, throughout, or again, removing them depending on where you're at. Yeah. Right. So a, a scaffolding wrapped around a building, like imagine that a big New York City skyscraper, they're scaffolding around that building as they're doing work. I can climb up the side of that building a lot higher than I would be able to on my own. On my own, I can't climb that building at all. But you put the scaffolding there and I can start to scale the side of that building. Right. Yeah. And so then that we just take that concept and we apply it in all the different learning that we're building for people. And we say, all right, what will the learner know now and what will we need to provide them? What more knowledgeable other can we provide them so they'll be able to do more on their own? And I love that term more knowledgeable other. Because when you say it, I immediately think it's another person, right? I think that's where we first go. But it doesn't have to be, of course. Like that more knowledgeable other could be an inanimate thing, could be artificial intelligence, could be practically sure. anything that would just help you. Sure. I think that's actually a really important thing to think about, right? Yeah. People can be part of the scaffolding, but that's not very scalable. If I need to onboard 4,000 people, I don't have 4,000 knowledgeable others at the ready to help them get, get onboarded. Yeah. But I can give them other kinds of supports, right? And that those other kinds of supports can look like anything. They could be checklists for how to do a particular task. It could be video that you watch and then model. It could be any kind of tool. Um, we built- So is this where the eyeliner comes in? Yeah, well, it's eyeshadow, Dana, eyeshadow. but we'll, we'll forgive okay. you for- we don't know We'll have to differentiate those two. <laughs> Less. Okay. We, maybe we need a job aid to help us understand this. <laughs> Yes. You guys, uh, you guys know all the Star Wars, but you need a makeup tutorial. That's Fair. okay. I get it. Um, <laughs> It'll help our cosplay. Yeah. So, so yeah. let's think about the eyeshadow example for a second. So when when Jake and I were talking ahead of today, and we were talking a little bit about, well, what was an example? Um, I said, actually, I was cleaning out my bathroom cabinet in preparation for a move we just made, and I was going through old makeup, and I found an eyeshadow palette, and there was scaffolding in the eyeshadow palette. The eyeshadow palette has four colors. And on the mirror, there's a little diagram of your eyelid and they're, and they're numbered. Where does each color go on your eye? One, two, three, four. So if you're not very you know, uh, proficient at makeup or you're just learning, 
Dana, we're going to get you a numbered eyeshadow palette. If you're just learning uh, or if you have never used like more than one color before, this is a this is a scaffolded way to teach you how to do lovely eyeshadow. And it's embedded right there in the workflow. When you pop that palette open, it's right there on the mirror. And so there was a bunch of principles in that for me. I was like, this, this is what scaffolding is, right? It's embedded in the workflow. It is a little bit of support to help you do more than you could do on your own. And those two things, I, so I love that example. I, I feel like now every time I think about scaffolding, yeah. I think about eyeshadow. So Lisa, is this the type of thing where it's like the the eye and those bands are right on the mirror and so you kind of like pull the mirror up till your eye fills the space and then it tells you exactly where to go? Is that kind of Ooh, how? Oh, you could do that. I bet you could do that. Oh, I didn't see, that's I, how I was interpreting it. Like, that's oh. how I was envisioning how it was. Oh, I man, we got to get out of the podcasting business and patent this right now. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you could. You absolutely could do that. But also, if you could just look at the diagram, right? And then it's right there. pattern yeah. it, the, what's on the diagram on your eye. Okay. Yeah. So what I like about that example is nobody has to help me. It doesn't take any extra time. There's nothing hard about using that support. And I do think that that's a really important characteristic of great scaffolding is it doesn't introduce friction into the process. It's just right there with you as you're doing something. And it just helps you do it a little better than you would be able to do on your own. And that's a key point right there about not introducing friction. I think yes. as we are designing these type of things, obviously we've got to be thinking, how can we help the person with the minimum amount of friction? Yes. I think that's really important because that's why scaffolding often doesn't get used, right? You think about uh, if you take a more professional example for a minute, um, think about like a performance support solution. Maybe I build something that helps people uh, learn how to better build slides in PowerPoint, how to organize their thinking in slides and build more visual slides. Where does that power performance support need to live in order to be useful? It's got to be in PowerPoint, right? Right there in the tool menu and stuff that you're already using, because if it lives anywhere else, it's too much friction. You're not going to go look for something extra. It's got to be in the workflow as close to in the workflow as we can create. Yeah. Because friction is a barrier to great scaffolding. And then you can't talk about an example that has to do with Microsoft Office without going <laughs> in the direction of Clippy, which is swinging yeah. the pendulum too far the other way, right? I mean, it, it, it's a really good example of scaffolding that's built right into the tool, but because it was so annoying, number one, and number two, it was usually incorrect about what you were trying to do. Hmm. that it increased the friction, right? It was like, no matter what you were yeah. typing, it says, oh, it looks like you're writing a letter. Like, no, Clippy, I'm not writing a letter. I'm, <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm doing something completely different. So when we think about scaffolding and you know, the analogy that you guys used about uh, climbing up a building, you know, a lot of times you think about metal pipes and wood and, you know, things like that. Um, it seems that the discussion we're having says that scaffolding could be made up of a little bit of coaching, a little bit of a job aid, a little bit of um, maybe a micro tutorial. It could be a variety of things. Is that is that accurate? So, I think so that scaffolding around the building actually could have those little pieces if we're trying to illustrate it. I think so. I, I like the idea of one of the reasons that the analogy really resonates with me visually is because I like the idea of building something around the learner. 
right? What's the environment or the ecosystem that you're building around the learner that's helping them do more? And so it doesn't have to be just one thing to your point, right? If a checklist helps you do this part of the job and then stepping away and watching a couple of videos or getting some coaching from your manager helps you do the next part of the job, all of those things are kind of building that support around the learner. So when Lisa, when you circulated your eyeliner or eyeshadow, whichever example it was, eyeshadow. All right, when you circulated that, I I thought about my granddaughter learning to speak. Right. So if if and if we use that, first of all, there's lots of modeling, lots of repetition, lots of reinforcement, and lots of imperfect trials at pronouncing. You're right. The tongue's got to be in the right position to say certain words. And initially, pronunciation is very imperfect, but it's adequate enough to start to convey the ideas because it's combined with pointing. Mm. And so, you know, parents can kind of get the, the gist of it. Um, lots of frustration, lots of trial by error. But then there's also praise for getting things right. And then mm. there's things like picking up books and starting to point out words and how things are structured together. And pretty soon, the individual words start getting put together in sentences. And then I think the last part I put on my little sample was, holy cow, this granddaughter has a lot to say. <laughs> like bald and no hair and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Papa's hair goes to the new babies. Yeah. Um, but it, I mean, is that is that an example of scaffolding? And if so, what, what makes that unique example? Yeah, so I would pull out a bunch of the things that you described as yeah. good examples of scaffolding. And the pointing, for example, pointing to something and naming it is a great example of scaffolding, pointing out uh, an experience that somebody's working on and giving them rationale for it is a good example of scaffolding. Giving somebody a checklist that helps them do XYZ task in the moment is a good example of scaffolding. But you're also illustrating something that is equally important, which is what's the goal? Well, mm -hmm. the goal is to create independence. The goal is that eventually I won't need to point to that thing anymore because you'll know it's a ball. I won't need mm -hmm. to point to that thing anymore because you'll know it's a dog and you'll know the difference between ball and dog. And you'll be able to use those words without any help from me. So I, I think one of the mistakes we sometimes make, we imagine that they're going to need to use this thing forever. And mm -hmm. I actually think that that's a problem. So if you imagine, um, I've had some when you move, you get to call lots of call centers. <laughs> I've recently moved to California and trying to move your whole life into a new state. You get to call lots of call centers. And, and they're done that. And lots of call centers use scripts. Okay. Well, a script seems like, well, that would be a great scaffolding tool, wouldn't it? Sure, it would. If you're eventually assuming that this person is going to stop using the script because they now know how to do that thing on their own, right? Mm -hmm. So if what you're creating is a dependence on the artifact, that's not great scaffolding. But if what you're creating is the ability to act independently over time and kind of leave that artifact behind, then you're hitting your yeah. groove on scaffolding. Yeah. yeah. So before, so for all listeners, Lisa kind of gave us homework before the show. <laughs> to say what is scaffolding out in the wild, we'll say. And one specific one that relates to this point was around technology packaging. And I specifically was thinking about so like Sonos speakers. I actually, I have a couple at the house. Mm. And one of the things I thought about it, to your point, creating independence in the usage of that. When you first receive the box, 
you get a little bit of instructions on how to actually get it going. There's in this the nice thing yeah. of in the box. So in the box of what to do, take it out. Like there's a little guide there. And then once you actually set it up, you hear this, this noise that almost like something's working, something's happening. And then it's telling you, instructing you to get your app out, download it. And, and you know, it's showing up either if it's like a, I'm sp- I was specifically thinking about a soundbar that I've used on, on the TV so I can see like instructions actually appear on the TV that tell me to put on my phone, get it set up. And then the phone itself is actually going through multiple steps of maybe more detailed usage as well as just like the setup process. But it does give you a little bit of a taste of how to turn up the volume, how to do X, right? Like it gives you a little bit, little bit more. And then eventually you kind of get to the point where it has allowed you to play with the sound, turn it up, turn it down, turn it off. And then I no longer necessarily need the phone anymore. I at least have it, I have it ready to go. But it also gives you some notifications post about like, did you do this or did you do that? So again, kind of slowly fading out the instruction to the point where if you ever need it now, your phone and your app is there, but you're set up, you've played with it, you've tested it. So mm-hmm. that was kind of my area of like, it is. it was designed in a way that creates independence where I don't necessarily need my guide anymore. I have played around with it over time yep. to figure it out. And I thought that was a really interesting example of it. I like that a lot. Because again, it's talking about a lot of the principles we've been talking about. How does it help you do something that you're not able to do completely by yourself? How do you do that in a way that doesn't introduce friction? And how is it moving you towards independence over time? Mm -hmm. But I was thinking too about there are cases where you do want to always have that scaffolding present. And what I'm thinking about specifically is uh, like NASA astronauts, everything is on a checklist, everything. You know, like no matter how many times you've flown, no matter what you're doing, it's like every process is on a checklist and you walk through the checklist. And I I think, you know, a lot of airline pilots the same way. And, And so there are the times where the risk of failure has such catastrophic results or, you know, is so high and so great that you want somebody, no matter what their level of expertise, to have that rigor of going through the scaffold. Yeah. Medical medical procedures are similar, yeah. right? Um, and I'm wondering, is that scaffolding or is that a safety net? Maybe both. Yeah, it, it's an interesting question, right? Uh, because, And I think it highlights something that's really important for us as learning professionals, which is sometimes one thing can be used in a multiplicity of ways, right? There's a lot of ways to use a checklist and a lot of purposes for using a checklist. And just because it's a great tool for risk mitigation in some context doesn't mean it's not also a great tool for scaffolding in others. Um, And so I really, I like the idea of thinking about what kind of, what helps you in your life to do things that you aren't totally capable of doing yourself or that you know, like your NASA example, remind you in high pressure situations of what you should do, like what kinds of things help you? Because those are the things you can turn into scaffolded supports for people as they're learning to do the task. Well, let me, let me ask you this one, Lisa, because I have thought about this a bit too. When you, you mentioned performance support earlier on, when does performance support no longer becomes like a, a scaffolding mechanism where you basically, again, to the the script idea, if you're so reliant on using what it's recommending all the time, how much are you actually learning or what is the risk of creating where there's so much, de- so much dependence yeah. on that? 
Yeah. Are you learning to do the job or are you learning to use the support? Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Are exactly. you learning? Are you learning the concepts or are you learning to take the test? Right. This is my <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. An, an episode for another day is my my professional rant on standardized testing. Right. But, you know, like, what are you actually learning how to do? So I um, there there are probably lots of quality control reasons and, and really important reasons in a call center environment that we want to use scripting. But then you're learning to use the scripts. Right. That's what you're learning. And, and maybe that's the right thing. Right. Um, but I, I, I just I find that when in the concept of scaffolding that you eventually you're going you're to want to take down the support. And so another kind of way you might think about it that we haven't talked about so much is how can you share the work with the thing? How does the learner share the work? So I keep coming back to slides because I've been making slides all day. And so that's what's that's what's fresh in my mind. PowerPoint pages. But you think about like, um, maybe I need to compare a bunch of different options and show that comparison on a slide. And I don't know how to do that. Well, I'm, I might pull a template that already has the categories and the Harvey balls on it. And all I have to do is change those categories and think about how to fill in the Harvey balls. That's a great example of scaffolding because it lets me sh- compare and contrast a bunch of different things on a slide. And then the next time I can go, oh, I think it was like a Harvey ball kind of frame that I used last time. Let me just quickly look at the last one I did. Oh yeah, I remember this. And then I can make my own, right? Um, sometimes it's helpful to think about how scaffolding is actually the learner sharing the work with something else. The hmm. other thing is doing part of the work and the learner is doing part of the work and it's pushing the learner into how they how they can do more than they would be able to do on their own. So I think that we should agree at this point that the example of the NASA space shuttle cockpit or doctor doing heart surgery checklists should not be considered scaffolding. I don't think so. Sca- scaffolding, we should call it, th- these are things that are designed to be taken away It's designed to help you learn the job and master the job and then to leave them behind. And if they stay, then it's something else, which might be a good thing or it might not be the best way in in order to work. Yeah. I mean, I think there's so much value in risk mitigation strategies Mm -hmm. like you've described. But the, the, the checklist is not necessarily more knowledgeable than the pilot. The Ah, the checklist is not necessarily more knowledgeable than the surgeon. And remember, if we kind of circle back to the beginning, we said scaffolding is partnering the learner with a more knowledgeable other. Mm -hmm. Right. And so what what gives the learner more knowledge? And and there's lots of places to use checklists for other purposes. But scaffolding is when the the checklist is the more knowledgeable other. Perfect. We've nailed it. So (laughs) I have a I have a. uh... I have a funny example from okay. the movie, the movie, the Santa Claus two. Okay. Oh. All right. <laughs> I got to remember that one. Re- re- remember toward the end when Santa is proposing to his new Mrs. Claus and he has, I think it's an elf whispering in his ear, telling him what to say. You say, this is happening all so fast, but you've known me your whole life. And he's all this thing. And then finally Santa says, I'll take it from here. <laughs> there is yes. a perfect example. That's a great example. <laughs> yeah. That's a great example. I did not think that an elf whispering in your ear was going to come up in today's conversation. So I'm Well, I'm, you never I'm know. I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled. <laughs> I'm realizing time and there was one last thing I think Lisa, I think we should probably discuss before we uh sign off and that is why do we think that our listeners should actually really care about scaffolding? Mm-hmm. It's 
sounds like it's very clear if you're a designer um, of learning experiences or learning programs, curriculum, and so forth. But what about even outside of just design? What are some elements why you, we, you think that we should care about this? I think that's an important question. Um, and I think that we care about this as learning professionals because it is a small and pretty straightforward way of helping people make really meaningful progress. So you can use it in a one-on-one -on -one interaction. You're trying to onboard somebody new. You're trying to coach somebody. You're trying to get somebody through a performance issue. You can use, this is not a hard concept, but it's a really powerful one. And so if you can think about how to craft for people an environment which is helping them address the things they need to, to address or learn the things they need to learn. It creates less dependence on you and, and it helps sort of foster their, their own learning in a more independent way. And I think that's a very powerful tool. So yes, if you're a designer, you're thinking all the time about how to bring scaffolding into every aspect of what you're building. But if you're a human who's trying to teach other people things, this is a simple and very effective way to do it. How do you create uh, an environment which helps people do, gives somebody something, a more knowledgeable other, a something that will help them, that minimizes the friction they experience when they use it, and that moves them towards independence? That's that can be very easy, can be very done in the day to day. And so I think it's important because it's so powerful and actually so easy to implement. And I think one more dimension to that, Lisa, would be as a learner. So if I'm going to learn something, I could intentionally seek out what type of scaffolding might oh, be I helpful for me. Yeah, I love right? that. I mean, I, if, because if you have that intent, you can say, well, who are the people I could reach? If I'm going to Disney, I'd reach out to Bob. Right. If I if there are other things I'm trying to do, it might be picking up a book or um, but there's intention behind that as a learner. Right. Oh, I really like that. And when you're trying to learn something new, right, asking for a sample, asking for a template, asking for a quick checklist, you know, what are the two questions you ask yourself before you go into this meeting? Like it's it can be very empowering as a learner to know what kind of support to seek. So mm -hmm. I, I really like that perspective. And how many times have I, have you experienced it where you've learned something that uh, the hard way and then you find the perfect job aid and you say, yeah. I only. wish I would have had this at the beginning of my journey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If, only. If, only. Yeah. if only. Yeah. If only. And it is, oh. it is interesting for us as learning professionals to think of ourselves less as learning experience designers and more as learning environment designers. Oh, interesting. I'll drop that one there. And I will also hint that I had I had a great example all set about World of Warcraft and scaffolding. But I think we're going to have to save that for next time because I okay. do actually have to get down to Disneyland. <laughs> of course. It is Friday. Yes, it is. Yeah. I don't go every Friday, but there's something going on tonight and I've got to get down to Anaheim. So uh, well, and, and we, we've kept these nice listeners on far too long already. Well, lest we keep you from that. <laughs> Lisa, thanks for joining us. A yeah, delight as always. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I love chatting Yay. with you. Yeah, great. I love chatting with and you. we will have you on again soon. And to our listener, thanks for joining us. And we will talk to you again really soon next time we get together as the Learning Geeks. Uh, bye for now. We'll see you then. Take care. See you all. Thanks.